All right. Welcome, everyone, to Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack these stories and mental fitness practices, people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. And today, we've got Joey Caffone, founder and CEO at Baron Fig, designer and troublemaker under the hood, living and working in New York City. His debut book, The Laws of Creativity, Unlock Your Originality and Awaken Your Creative Genius, publishes on October 18th, 2022, probably a couple days after this releases. And I am excited for you to get this book in your hands. I'm obviously a bit biased given uh, Baron Fig is the publisher behind Personal Socrates, but I have to say, this book feels good, Joey. Welcome. Mark, thanks, man. Yes, you are biased, but I think, you know, during the process, you've given me a lot of good feedback, a lot of suggestions. We've been straight up with each other. So I'm feeling like um, whatever it is you say, which I haven't heard anything yet because you, you said you haven't been texting me. I'm going to take <laughs> it to heart, good or bad. Love it. I don't expect anything less. It, it just, I mean, we're going to get into the book, obviously, in detail, uh, just because there's so much, in my opinion, there's such great mental fitness and reflection in uh, how you wrote the book, how it's structured, uh, even how it feels, man. I've just, I've just had, I've had this on my desk ever since I've received it, and um, it just feels so good in the hands. There's nothing that replaces Thank you. that. So. Thank you. So yeah, before we get into any of that magic and you as a human and your story and so forth, just let's put the titles aside, what you're up to aside, and just who are you, Joey Caffone? Who is Joey Caffone? Great question. Uh, <laughs> um, well, you know, that's a, that's a really good question, Mark. I, I love that. And you asked the same question and it still catches me <laughs> off guard. Like, but I think I am a person passionate about making things and helping other people make things. So how I like to say it is my work focuses on helping people turn their ideas into reality. So yes, I founded mm. Baron Fig and those, those, uh, they sell tools to do your best thinking and now I wrote the brand new Laws of Creativity, a book that teaches you how to master your ideas. So both of those are contributing to that purpose in life. When did you know you were destined to make things? Oh, man. Uh, do, I, can, do you want to hear the story from the intro? Is that where you're going with this? I mean, either. It does, the, the, the worm story is great. I knew, we, <laughs> I knew we would get into that eventually. But I, yeah. I, I don't know if there's anything else that... Like if you remember when you truly understood, I guess these are two questions, truly understood yeah. like creativity and like what what that is and the value of creativity. And then I guess the other question really is, maybe it's the worm, but it's like, when did you know you had to create things? Yeah, I think, I think it is the worm story that day. Um, and then I'll answer your first question after that. Sure. But for the uninitiated... <laughs> uh, first grade, I walk in, seven-year-old Joey, my pants are like up to my my belly button, oh, no, farther than my belly button, <laughs> and they're basically touching my chin, as was my style back in the day, and I have been known to do the same now, uh, to, to my friend's amusement, 
And uh, the teacher handed out this worksheet that was a worm that we had to color, cut out, put on the bulletin board. Same old, we've all done it. So I, you know, I got all my crayons. I put my arm around my sheet. I tried to make the greatest creation of all time. Uh, I wanted mine to be different. And I guess I took long because when I finally finished coloring, I cut it out and I walked up to the board and I saw that everyone's was already up. And so I'm standing there as this little seven-year-old kid looking at this board, and I, and I had this terrible feeling. My heart sank when I realized even though everyone was coloring differently, different colors and patterns within the lines, they were still all the same as a group. And so I couldn't bring myself to put it up. I go back to my desk. The teacher asks me if anything is wrong, and I say, no, 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 I just need another – just a minute. And I'm I'm on the verge of tears because how mm. can I possibly just contribute to this sea of the same? Uh, so, head in head in hands, I look down at my desk and I see these shards of paper that I had uh, that were left over from cutting it out, and just a bright light ticked on. Immediately, I drew a boombox, a microphone, and a necklace. I cut it out. I attached it to the worm. I went back up to the board. I proudly jammed that tack in. I stepped back and everybody gathered. And the teacher said to me, and I'll never forget it, she said, I've never seen anything like it. And that was the day that I became addicted to that feeling of making something different. And so to answer mm. the question is really, uh, that's when I knew that I was going to create things or that I love to do it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't yeah. know it was called creativity. I didn't know you could do it professionally. But that is that is what happened. And then it took another, you know, 20 years to I think materialize into what it is today. It was actually 19 years when I, that I started Baron Fig. Wow. Wow. Where do you think have you ever thought about this like why intuitively your mind just went to making it different? And, you know, drawing those boom boxes, like there's something about, I mean, I know you have a uh, interesting backstory in terms of your, your childhood, let's say you've gone through quite a few things in life. And I don't know if that, uh, that affects, you know, your, your design thinking in that, that moment, mm -hmm. just curious if there's anything there that was like, you know, why, you know, why, you why know, was that the reason? Good question. Uh, there were some serious challenges, and most of them happened after seven years old. So it's like the time between seven and seventeen, let's say, okay. was was rough. But at that point, really, um, my my wife Ariana asked me this question: like, why did you have the desire, the need? And first of all, I'm I'm a competitive person, and I don't know where that came from. So I think just the competition got the better of me. But also, I was tall for my age. I'm tall now. I'm 6'3", and I was tall at 7. I had my growth spurt early. And so I was used to sticking out. I was used to being noticed. I couldn't hide. Okay. And then when I made this thing, and if I put it up there, I'd realize, wow, this thing that I'd been spoiled with, the attention that my height allowed me, I guess this is my, you know, my... BS theory, my armchair psychologist <laughs> theory, is that I probably was like, oh, I can't be the same now. I'm, I'm supposed to stick out. And so sure. that led to this, perhaps. 
I love it, man. It, ma- it makes sense. We we do a lot of armchair psychology over here on this show. We just speak in, <laughs> we, we speak in terms of just practical uh, experiences. And you know what? If there's a link somehow, uh, great. If not, at the very least, it's forced some good questions and some nice reflections. So yeah, absolutely. I like Thanks it. Thanks for asking. I would love to know related to the book. Like I remember you mentioning this to me at one point saying that this book has had been in you for years. Mm. So why now? Well, what you over. Uh I feel like Ariana is going to be the star of this conversation already. Might uh, as well bring well, her back in the fold for the I, listeners. I Before we I hit know. record, she was army crawling on the on the ground <laughs> to give some water to Luigi, their lovely dog, not knowing that we could totally see her. It was hilarious. <laughs> she, she was trying to avoid being on camera. <laughs> uh yeah, she is she is amazing and she the book is dedicated to her and she has read she read every chapter after I wrote it out loud so that it would help me process and just the book exists mm. because of her. Um, uh, why did it happen now is also to Ariana. So I, I had been taking notes for 10 years for this book. I knew that there was a, a problem because it, it was very obvious to me that creativity matters in a lot of ways, self-expression, uh, fun, uh, making more money, so on and so forth. But people have it all wrong and they think creativity is something only pros engage with, you know, designers or writers yeah. or illustrators. And it frustrates me because whenever, even writing the book, whenever I ask people, hey, do you, are you creative? And people would say, you know, no, absolutely not. And um, that's demonstrably false. We can, we can talk that later. So I had this thing, this notes for 10 years and uh, then the pandemic hit. This is the answer, Mark. We're in quarantine. I'm telling my wife, Ariana, all about this next idea I had for an iteration of the book. And she goes, she stopped me and she goes, if you, if you don't write this now, while we're stuck at home, you are never going to write this book. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You're right. I started the next day. I had my table of contents within a couple hours and I was off to the races. That's, uh, that's some great advice. Yeah, really great advice. She knows how to drop the bombs just at the right moment. Yeah. So, what were you like over the over the last ten years and whatnot? Like, what what were you capturing? Like, what were the notes and stuff? To to, I'm assuming somehow they formed uh, these laws. Was it always you know capturing laws or thinking about the laws of creativity, or did that come after? That came afterwards. I didn't frame it really at all. I had been taking notes about things that I saw patterns, things that I saw over and over again. And at Baron Fig, uh, I've designed and art directed over a hundred products from zero to uh, market, including personal Socrates, including my book. Uh, I've collaborated with James Clear, Roxanne Gay, Netflix, Code Academy. You know the list goes on. And so I've had a huge spectrum to observe and participate in is quite a unique, um, probably quite a unique role to play considering I, there are very few designers as CEOs. And so I was able to say, this is the product we're going to make. And then also participate in making it. 
Mm. And that gave me a unique perspective to uh, see this thing from, from zero to customer. And so all these notes that I took just were just totally abstract, really. And I, I have it somewhere stored still. There's just a document of like probably one or 200 bullet points that I later placed into chapters. And then the law okay. concept came afterwards. So they're primarily reflections and, and like you said, combinations or uh, yeah. that kind of stood out along your journey of, of designing and working with really interesting humans and brands. Totally. Like for example, yeah. you know, in collaborating with someone and trying to communicate with them, I'd realize, hey, the simpler the message, even though I'm leaving so much out, the easier it is to communicate yeah. it. And you know, then you get the attention pie concept from that and so on. Okay. The other thing I really, I, and we're going to, like, we definitely are going to jump into some of the laws because I think there's, 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 well, there's 38 really great laws uh, in there that uh, you're guaranteed to at least pause and think a bit differently, which is obviously right up in my jam of, of mental fitness and reflection. Um, but I just wanted to, I just had, you know, a lot of curiosity around your process because the other thing too that like most the uh, most of these chapters and laws they open up with a interesting story, and like as I'm going through them, I mean, there's Oprah, there's Walt Disney, there's um, uh, what's that Khan Academy? I'm trying to think by memory. Yeah, there's a ton of examples, and I'm like, where did he get these? Like, how? Yeah. Like, what was the process? Was it was it that you saw? an example at one point and it's part of your notes or as you're going through the law, you sat back and be like, okay, what's a good example that I can match with that? Like that's seems to me very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for everyone out there, there's 39 laws across three parts. The first part is how to think better, uh, think creatively. The second part is the creative processes. And the third is to, to how to be great, how to be excellent. And what happened was, I, I told you I had put this table of contents together. Cool. I mapped it out. Actually, the map that I did on that first day ends up ended up being like 90% final book. So I, I was oh, wow. like quite okay. on point. It, I really had it brewing. So I did the table of contents. The next step was to assign stories. It was the very next thing I did. So I had... Hold on, a, hold on. How did you even come up with the laws? It could be endless, uh, which would be the law of the finish line. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, so, you know, everybody goes like, hey, dude, why couldn't you make it an even 40 laws? Like, why 39? And basically, I, I did not create the laws of creativity. Just like you know, Newton did not create the law of gravity. He observed it and he wrote it down. So sure. There just happened to be 39 facets to creativity that I observed and wrote it down. Okay. So it's like, I, I, I didn't make the law. I named them, sure. And that I did right off the bat. That was pretty straightforward. And um, those okay. those names changed quite a bit. Sure. Uh, but the concepts But the stories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the concepts were totally there. I had like a note, really, what it was about. Yeah. And I named it. So, so assigning stories to these chapters, I should step back. Every chapter is a law. Every uh, law right at the beginning has a story that makes up about a third of the chapter that really uh, my purpose was actually number one to entertain and then number two to inform. So there was – if I wanted to divide my experience of, of story writing, it, there's three distinct experiences that happened. 
Okay. The first third was so easy, Mark. It was basically a lifetime of stories in my head that yeah. I thought were interesting. And I was like, bam, that's a story. Bam, that's a story. Boom, boom, boom. Like 15 chapters assigned. And I was like, wow, this is going to be easy. Okay. <laughs> so I got them out of my head. Then the second uh, distinct experience with stories for the middle of the book was, okay, I don't have any more stories in my head, but I'll just go read about someone interesting and there's still so many laws available to assign. I would read maybe five, six stories, and then I would come across something and be like, oh, that's perfect for this law. And I do okay. it again, rinse and repeat. And so because I had such a big pool of available laws still, it was mm -hmm. still relatively easy. But Mark, dude, <laughs> I can only imagine. The last third of this book, <laughs> oh my gosh. When I had. I was down to, let's say, a dozen laws left that I had specific examples I needed. Now, there was no more just like throwing stories in to sure. laws. I had to go out and find laws, and it was quite difficult. That's when I started texting people, hey, uh, you, know, uh, you know any good stories about, um, let's just say, collaboration, for example, that has an interesting you know, underlying uh, twist or whatever – and man, when I got to the last five, I was like, I'm never going to finish this book. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, how am I going to find stories to illustrate these totally random points? And since I wrote the book uh, pretty much front to back, it was all the excellence ones were like the really advanced, more complex uh, sure. ideas. And th that really challenged me, man. So what what helped other than texting people and, and you know getting insight and what I'm assuming you probably applied your own laws whether you realize it or not in actually being able to finish those remaining you know dozen or so chapters. Yeah, the whole book was like a meta experience of following the laws to create the laws of creativity, yeah. and it was really neat because I would get to parts where I would have trouble, and then I would realize that a law, even though I hadn't written it, I had all these notes, I would could follow it. And solve my problem. And when did that happen? Because I had the same thing with personal Socrates, as you know, like the, the structure of the book, right? I think revealed itself maybe two thirds of the way or maybe half of the way through. And it was like, wow, this just became so much easier. And it, to finish the other profiles for me, it was the same thing. I have to get clear with, you know, the research. Yeah, I remember that. Intentional, <laughs> and I have an outline. And then the expansion of possibilities, just actually writing the chapter. And it's it was such a magical moment. I'm like, this is pretty cool that like the actual book is working for me at this point. So for yeah. when did it happen for you then? Well, there's the law of stepping away that talks about um, a concept I made up essentially called float. And so we all know that mm. there's flow, which is being directly connected to the moment when you're working so much so that time drops away. And then for me, there's float, which is actually stepping away and letting the back of your mind process things. This is why we get so many ideas in the shower, for example. Yeah. So I just call it flow and float. Uh, I didn't create flow. I did create float, um, put those together. And so part of I was having some trouble. And so I was like, I'm going to beat this problem. And I was working and working and working and working and working. And then, of course, I, I actually gave up. I stepped away had an idea probably in the shower and then it clicked and I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. Why didn't I listen to my own law? So that's, yeah. that was when it happened for me. So cool. 
Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. Uh, before we get the last question, before we get into the actual laws on the process, I just, I, I noticed that, you know, obviously you mentioned there's three parts to the book, but part two process by far has the most laws, mm-hmm. which there's always a reason for things that come out of your design mind, having worked with you quite closely. And I'm curious to see why, you know, what, like, is it just the, the importance of process or is there something else behind that? Well, process is essentially action and action is practical. Like everyone wants to know, Hey, tell me how to do X. And so the middle of the book, the 18 chapters are literally called the laws of action and mm-hmm. they're all about how to do the creative process. Um, and so there, that is the bulk of what I actually thought I was going to write. I thought that was going to be the book. Okay. And in writing the table of contents and starting to talk to people when I, I did a, about a dozen or two dozen interviews with people ahead of time, just on creativity, not like interviews for the book, which I did separately. Um, And I realized that before I could just tell people how to create, I had to teach them a new way to think. And so that's part one emerged, the the foundation, the laws of mindset. I had to like really reset our operating system before I could say, okay, now start creating because creating is a manifestation of your thoughts. If your thoughts aren't where what I had originally taken for granted for myself, it's not going to work. Yeah. And then excellence came afterwards where a lot of people who are professional creators were mentioning things where, um, you know, what, how to, okay, so I know how to do all this, but why am I not X person? Why am I not famous or, or yeah. really good or I'm getting stuck? And so excellence emerged from that. Gotcha. But yeah, process, process is the gold. Really so is. good. I mean, like I'm just looking at the parts right now. And I mean, I, I know it's, you know, the laws of creativity, but there is, at least the way I've been reading it, the book has been helping me put together a new project that you and I have discussed in in the past, just this this concept of uh, continuing on and exposing mental fitness and the questions that shape the lives of people that we know about and so forth. And in doing so, like trying to understand the film world and see how that whole, you know, industry works and how to, how to get a, a project up and running. And I have just found, uh, your books so valuable in helping guide me through that process and just, again, pause and, and shift perspective, you know, and, and I'm jumping around, like I'm, I'm not reading the book from part one to, to three mm. in, in sequential order. I mean, I wrote, I read the introduction and some of the early laws right away, but I've been just kind of skimming the, the chapter headlines and the laws and 
stopping where like my curiosity sparked and uh, maybe there's a law in this one or maybe you already wrote about it but like that intuitive pop off the page has has dramatically helped this project forward so how did you how are you know you've got you've got enough books out there kind of pre-launch at this point have you been surprised at all with how people are consuming the book or feedback you're getting um you know this whole time i wrote it if there's one process thing that i can share it's that whenever i I did two things. I never looked at the past and I never looked at the future when I wrote the book, aside from the planning stage. Once I was done with the the future, I let it sit. What I mean by this practically is when I wrote a chapter, I wrote it, I said, Ariana read it out loud. She would give me feedback. I made tweaks and then I never read it again, ever. Like I didn't go back to reference it, Mm. nothing. Um, and so what that did was help me just move forward. I wrote, you know, 92,000 words in less than a, well, the first 82,000 words in 11 months, first draft. And, um, I moved fairly quickly through this book. And similarly, I didn't look to the future of like, what are people going to think in terms of how is this going to be received? The only thing I cared about was, is it clear and, in, and interesting and entertaining, and did I say what I needed to say? Sure. Because uh, there's a whole editing stage, right? So yeah, I, I let that exist there. But as far as people, what they're saying, I'm a little shocked. One of my friends who's very critical said that it was uh, one of the best books he's ever read. And... It, He's quite, he has never, I don't think he's ever given me a compliment. So (laughs) I was shocked. Yeah. Um, Let's say his name is Steve. I I was privately calling this the Steve test as I was getting close to it. And I was like, man, this guy's going to crap all over my book. But he didn't. And, um, you know, I'm starting to get a few texts. There's only maybe two dozen books out there, three dozen books. It's very early. Sure. So, I mean, of what you read, what's your impression of this thing? Well, for me, it's just the it's the practicality uh, of how it's written. That even though you know some of the opening stories are, you know, covering like Oprah's backstory, where I may not be able to relate with her childhood and what she went through and so forth, but there are just there are many nuggets in there to, to again just okay interesting like i never thought about it this way and then it you know for me it it, it remotivates and just provides a subtle little degree kind of adjustment on where i was going for example or cool. like the one the one of the one of the areas i wanted to ask you about and this this links like tipping points um there is the, i think it's just a law of good enough and then also I'm combining a couple uh, laws here. I can't remember where this one's from, but the, but the alchemist story. I feel like there's two, two kind of parallel examples here where you've got the alchemist, which I, I imagine uh, many people are familiar with that book. You can provide some context if, you, if you'd like. Um, mm-hmm. Where he, you know, he published the book and I think they ran like 900 copies or something like that. And it was his third book that really tipped over. Now all of a sudden the alchemist is like a legendary book of, of our, of our time. And similar thing with this, in that the example you gave in the law of good enough were with the Khan Academy and, 
you know, the guy was filming videos nonstop, putting his workout, and then all of a sudden Bill Gates, you know, gives the work a shout out, and yeah. that's the tipping point. So for me, it was like, you know, with my own book, obviously, and, and the work that I'm doing, and just, you know, just staying true to the work. Like, if you believe in the work and put in the effort and take the action, you know, good things will happen. It may not be on the timeline that we have, but right. like these stories that you're providing and with the laws to back them, I find from a mental perspective, very uh, refreshing and, and also calming. Yeah, there's, there's, as far as the tipping point goes, you're not going to ever be able to isolate it. And I think you're, you've said yeah. that um, and do it in a different way. You just kind of put your work out there and, and keep going. But the key there is putting your work out yeah. And that's where, you know, I could never tell you, hey, do, you know, 16 of these things and you're going to have a best-selling book. Not at all. I could tell you if you keep writing books, the likelihood of having a best-selling book increases. And that's that's yeah. that's like statistically a fact. Um, and so what I focus on instead in these chapters towards the end of the process section in the you know, the alchemist chapter, I believe, is how do I get people to understand when it's time to let your creation go into the world? And so I'm leaning a little bit on um, this idea of Zeno's paradox, which is, for those mm. unfamiliar, Zeno's paradox says, you know, essentially, if you have a certain distance, uh, let's say a football field, and you cut it in half, you're now halfway, cut it in yeah. half again, and now you've got a football field's 100 yards. You've only got 25 yards left. And you cut it in half, and it's 12 and a half. But the interesting thing is that the way Zeno's paradox works, and because numbers are infinite, essentially, you never get to the end. And mm -hmm. that is what happens when people are creating, is they keep on making improvements. And you want to know what? They are improvements. I, I don't doubt that, Mark, you could have written your book for 10 years and made it you know, slightly, slightly, slightly improved. Uh, or I could have done the same with mine or anything that we make. However, there's two ideas that you want to think of here is number one is diminishing returns is yeah. uh, that half the distance, right? Where you go 50 yards on the first thing, like you go from no words in your text document to a paragraph. That's a huge nothing to something. Yeah. And then you keep writing and so on and so forth. The progress that you're making actually shrinks relative to the progress you've made. So what happens is if you keep going at, at a certain point, your diminishing returns are so small that the changes you make are invisible to everyone but you. And you, in essence, stop making things better and you're just making them different at some point. Yeah. And so That's my chapter line. is about right? It's about recognizing better from different when you've reached the point of so many diminishing returns, it doesn't make sense, and then just publishing and keep going. And that's what uh, Paolo Coelho did when he, you know, he wrote his first book, The Alchemist, the second one, the third one came out. And then that's when all of a sudden he got the attention. He just kept yeah. putting them out there. And that's what we need to do as creators, whether you're writing a book, you're designing something, you're creating spreadsheets, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is you make, and we all make a lot, just keep going, keep iterating, keep uh, pushing yourself to do more. 
But this is something I've always admired you for. And, and I, I, you know, have you to thank, because I, I feel like you've taught me a lot in this realm of not setting like unrealistic expectations and, and really, you know, only having expectations for putting quality work out there. But it's so hard to do that because obviously when we're, we're doesn't, like you said, whether it doesn't matter what you're working on, but especially when you're working on, you know, big projects that you think are, are, you know, something that can impact a lot of people. You're putting like all your attention and focus. It's hard not to go down the rabbit hole of, uh, well, I hope it reaches this amount of people or I hope it shows up here or whatever it is, right? So like what's, what's helped you just pause to, I guess, reset and not go down that track? Or do you just not do that, period? <laughs> In terms of thinking about how Outcomes. something is received? Yeah, um, but just like not not getting too hung up on your own personal expectations. Hmm. Uh, that's that's good, dude. My mind is swarming. Um, there's, there's two things I can say here. So first is... Uh, the philosopher Plato has a really powerful concept. Concept um, we call it the Platonic forms. You familiar with this? No. Okay, cool. It's awesome. So the Platonic forms is essentially the idea of something we have in our head. It's perfect. Okay, and Plato says it. What's in our head is absolutely perfect, but it can never be so in reality. Okay. And my the way I explain this in the book is very simple. In our head, a, a circle is perfect, right? Every point is perfectly equidistant from the center. In yeah. reality, it's impossible, literally. It's just we'll never be so precisely perfect. Mm. We get close that it's indistinguishable. But what is really important to, to understand is when we look around the room that we're in, like I'm in, you know, at my desk in this room, I see at least six circles in front of me. And sure. none of these are mathematically perfect, yet that didn't stop every single creator from saying this is good enough. Yeah. So that's important to realize, first of all, is that what's in your head won't ever be real in the way that you think it will. And then the second thing that, that, that keeps me going is the idea of a prime construct, so a prime construct is, is similar to an MVP, which is a minimum viable product. That's a yep. common product uh, designer or entrepreneurial term. But it has some differences. So for example, um, it, it really depends on what you're making in terms of what's the prime construct, the simplest version of a thing that gets your idea across. So for example, if I'm making a video, I can record a video and 10 minutes, have it on YouTube and test it. That's my prime construct. It's so easy to replace it, to upgrade it, to, to ship it, that the prime construct barrier is really, really low. However, with a book, a book cannot be replaced so easily. And mm -hmm. so the prime construct there takes a little bit longer, right? It's your first edition. And so yeah. you, you essentially think about, hey, this is my prime construct. I'm just going to go for the simplest version that gets my idea out. And then I can iterate. I can go yeah. again. So I do, when the time comes, like now that I'm ready and talking about this book, I am thinking, oh my goodness, what are people going to think? Is anyone going to like this? Am I just the, the crappiest writer on earth? Like, is this just a joke? Is it full of obvious ideas? These are the things that, that, that plague me 
Yeah, human but questions. I, right. But, but I thankfully can use the idea of the prime construct to say, hey, whatever happens, um, you can fix it. You can, you can do another version. So I actually, yeah. I'm not really dodging them now that I'm in this, you know, here comes the book stage. Sure. I just know that uh, there's a solution if it is negative. Yeah. But you're, you've, along the way, you're setting up the environment to just continue to move forward, essentially, to, to first, and force, first and foremost get out that initial concept. But then I, from what I'm hearing, you're also setting up as kind of let, let's see what happens here right and like knowing that this is you know th- it may be the, the 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 first and last book you write i don't know but it's not going to be the first and last project w- within the realm of design or creativity and this and thinking that you're going to work on right? right or it's not the fr- it's not the last edition you know say i yeah. nail a bunch of things but a couple things are for some reason you know s- sticking points for a lot of people well, at that point, I say, "Hey, man, I got eighty or ninety percent of this. I might as well fix the, you know, whatever little bit that I need to." Yeah, uh, and then keep going. But yeah, like let's say ninety percent of the book, people were like, "This sucks." Then uh, I'm a realist. I'd be like, "Okay, not for me. I'm moving yeah. on. No Fair. big deal." Fair. But, but hopefully just, that doesn't happen. Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I, I doubt that's going to happen because it's, it's good. It's very good, um, and everyone's going to receive it in, in different ways, but it's, it's just, again, it's written in a way and there's, there's, there are enough laws included that it's nearly impossible for it not to relate with anyone that mm-hmm. picks up this book. Right. And uh, I don't know about you, but for me, even if it's one shift that you can help someone with, I mean, it's, it's kind of worth the, you know, the effort. Yeah. That's, that is, that's why I prioritized entertainment because if, if you're at least entertained reading all these stories, it'll carry you through the book and then it, it'll get you to the point where maybe there is that one law that hits you. Like I had a law that hit me, which was yeah. about Bruce Lee. Ariana had a law that hit her so hard. And it was one of the laws I was like, man, this sucks. I, I just need Ariana to read it because I don't know how to fix it. That yeah. it hit her so hard, she ended up quitting her job a couple weeks, weeks later and changing her life entirely from this chapter. Oh, wow. I know. How did, that, and, how did that feel, Joey? You're like, oh shit. <laughs> I mean, I was I was stunned. I was stunned because I it was one of the final few that I had left, and I was just I wasn't out of juice, but it was like I didn't know if the story connected well enough. And okay. So I don't want to ruin anything. You know, it was about discipline, and essentially the chapter says. Are if you want more than other people have, are you doing more than other people do? Yeah, Otherwise, I remember that. Right? Otherwise, yeah. don't don't expect it. That's you're then that that there's a word for that. It's called entitlement. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And uh she is such a hard worker. Um, and she kind of had ideas of what the hard work could bring her to or not bring her to. Anyway, she's not to say that Ariana is entitled at all. She's not. She worked, I thought she worked too hard, actually. Um and she kind of just had to reorient where the effort was going in this case. And she sure. was just like, my goodness. And she, so she quits her job and I'm like sitting. I remember that night I sat at the kitchen table. This is when she's first reading it. And I'm always a little nervous because she's 
absolutely my harshest. She is absolutely my harshest critic, you know, aside from yeah. uh, our code name, Steve. And <laughs> she was real quiet after reading to the point where I was thinking to myself, man, this must suck. This yeah, must suck. Totally. Uh, and uh, I waited and waited and I kind of got a glass of water. And then she goes, I got to make a change. And I'm so confused. What do you mean you have to make a change? And she says, I need to, I need to, to think that was really good. And then she walked out. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was like, uh, <laughs> and so the next day or maybe later that night, I forget what it was, but she finally came back and she explained, like, I love this. This is so clearly written. Like I, you've shined light on things that I just didn't see this way. And now it is so obvious that I am not, um, I'm not on a path that I want to be. And she says, yeah. so I have to change it. And she did. And now she's doing some really incredible stuff. Yeah, I love it. I mean, and just knowing her a bit personally as well, I'm, I'm really proud and, and happy for her. And that it happened in this way. That's pretty cool. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, um, she like, had to, I just, I'll just say that she did, she and everybody, you eventually have to go and do the work yourself. And so I'm never, ever going to take the credit from the change she made to say, Hey, that was my book. You know, it, it was, of course the book just shines a light. You have to go and explore that cave and you have to get through to the other side and that's all you. And that was all her. Yeah, for sure. You have to do the work, but I mean, you're providing what I would say as the, you're providing the sparks. Like yeah. I had that with, you know, this, the vision of this, this project. I was, I remember I was reading the one page uh, covering Walt Disney and that whole story. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's the missing piece that I don't have right now. And I, I shut the book and I started writing, you know, to awesome. adjust my pitch. So it's like, you, to your point, like you could continue reading and so forth and do other things, but you have to then take the next step. And then I actually, this morning, went right back to that. I reread the whole section and then took another kick at it. So it's it's... You need, I think everyone's, you know, has their own set of, of, of rituals and routines and how they process information. But James Clear said this on this show at one point, and it's, you have to have your balance of consumption versus creation. And mm. there's no, they, they teeter, but you can't have one without the other. Right. Right. I, so, there's a whole section in the book about consuming and, yeah. uh, how important being a consumer is if you're a creator. We think we have this idea of a starving artist in their New York City loft with you know paintings all over, and they yeah. don't even know what social media is, and they don't know what the latest movie, and they're like, "I'm just here for like my art, man." Yeah. And <laughs> that is absolute. I can't curse. That is garbage. Okay, that is total total fabrication of of reality. Because you need to have those building blocks. You need to yeah. consume so that you have ideas to then combine and turn around and then push out. Yeah. Otherwise, you're, you've got nothing inside. You've got nothing worth saying. Yeah. Well, and that, it, totally. And the other thing, I've noticed it too on the mental fitness side. Like if, for people listening, if you find yourself in a negative mood or an unwanted mood, um, if you have your consumption properly set up like books 
podcasts, blogs, whatever that you know will fuel your mind in a, in a good way, you know, those are the moments where it's like, stop what you're doing so that looping pattern doesn't continue. Jump into, you know, a book that you know will shift your, your mindset and mood. And often that happens within minutes, right? Yeah. And then you can kind of get back on track. So it really does happen quickly. It's amazing. Along those lines, because I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's 39 laws. We can go through a million uh, <laughs> of those chapters, but I definitely want, before we wrap, definitely want to cover some of your morning practices, some of your mental fitness. I mean, there is a section that I didn't know about this, uh, about you personally, but when you're, you, the power of a mantra where you, mm. where you provide it, I think you said, I am a champion 19,000 times on a yeah. flight. Why don't you provide yeah. some, some backstory? Then I'd, I'd love to know like how these kind of practices still show up in your, in your life today. Yeah, I'm, I'm normally, I'm not a big traveler and that's something I'm working on, but I've gone to a lot of places, a lot of, a lot of, uh, what do they call them when you hop in the car? What's the word? <laughs> Vacations? <laughs> <laughs> road trips, road trips. Road road trips. trips. Okay. Sorry. I mean, when I was young, I was a road trip animal. Me and uh, oh, okay. JSI, our COO, we, we've known each other since we were 15, but uh, there's this time I, I got food poisoning in Japan and I come back and then six months later, maybe I go on another trip to China. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, that that experience of being in the hospital actually in Japan had traumatized me and I had a panic attack in China and I was alone. Did you know it was and a panic attack or did you think it was something else? I, I figured it out pretty quickly. Okay. I've never had a panic attack before, and I'm not an anxious person in the least. Yeah. But it, I've paid attention, you know, when people talk about that experience, and it would lined up very, very okay. Uh, okay. completely. Uh, the breathing was hard. I couldn't leave the hotel room. I was freaking wow. out. So uh, thank goodness my co-founder at the time, Adam Cornfield, uh, was able to just across, you know, half the world was able to secure a ticket, get me home ASAP. And I think it was an 18 hour flight. And I, I, I asked myself, how am I going to survive this, this, this flight sitting here with this feeling? So I started saying to myself, I am a champion. I am a champion. I am a champion in my head. And aside from being asleep, I did the math and it was 19,000 times uh, you know, when you count how long it was and how long the flight was. And it helped me significantly because by saying that over and over, I didn't allow the anxious thoughts space. Yeah. Like very practically speaking, like I'm not like, and I turned into a shining knight, you know, this <laughs> yeah. wonderful metaphorical armor. Like not at all. I just said it so many times. The other thoughts had no space. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that was that experience and that, that was quite powerful and it's in the book. Have you ever used something like that again, like maybe on a more micro level? Um, I've, I've actually brought I Am a Champion back a few times when I've struggled, but not in a, a mantra sense, more as a reminder. You know, I've maybe yeah. been, I've definitely been through some you know, challenging moments, you know, with the business, personal life. And it's funny that that thought does pop up and I say, I am a champion 
you know, if I am a champion, what, what does a champion do right now? Kind of thing. Yeah. Good question. And just kind of like step up. Yeah. Force myself to step up. I love that. I'm writing that question down. Let's talk a little bit. I mean, you and I share the uh, beautiful quiet of the early morning as something that we have in Mm -hmm. common. I remember one time we were on a call and somehow this came up where we were talking about how you can tell how many people are up or have a morning practice or something for the most part. I mean, it could be shift work, obviously, by just looking out your window or taking a walk and seeing how many lights are on in the window at the time that you're up. Yeah. And there's like this feeling, there's such a peaceful, beautiful feeling knowing that it's only you and a few people kind of around, yeah. right? So yeah. I'd love to know a little bit more about those early morning wake-ups and what, what you do during that time. Sure. I have the same system I've had for a while now. It's I get I got up at 4.30 today. I read meditate, exercise, and then practice. And so practice is uh, one of two things these days. These are practicing the trumpet or practicing programming. There's two things okay. I'm trying to learn. Uh, the programming is more uh, practical because I can actually use it at work. And I'm on my day like 400 a streak of that. And then the trumpet is useful for me to get really uncomfortable. Okay. But and like your you were saying, at four in the thirty in the morning. When are you blown on that horn? <laughs> well, at Baron Fig Studio. So I oh, used okay. to go in before everyone else, and then I would be able to do the okay. trumpet when I get there. And, and it's a commercial space. Gotcha, but, dude. Speaking of um, people who are up, you know, we moved into this apartment uh, about a year and a half ago, and I remember being up one morning and looking out the kitchen window, and there's this huge building across the way, and just one light is on and I saw the person moving around and I thought, you know, I'm with you. And yeah. then it was neat because there was a shared moment for me. Well, not for them. There was a special moment. And then I see that light now and that, that like every morning, that person has no idea that, you know, Joey over across the way is looking at that light and going, it's us against the world right now. Uh, yeah. But it's pretty cool. I don't know why there's such a, sense sense sensitive moment or sentimentality why do you think that is i i think it's i think it's the contrast of what's about to happen a couple hours from now you know when you're because you know at some point the world's going to kickstart or your city's going to mm. fire up the lights are all going to come on the noise is going to start and we're in that for you know 8 12 hours until things calm down a little bit. And I think, I mean, from the interviews on the show, I'd say the majority of the people that have guested are more so on the morning side of things, but the same is true. There's another subset of like the, the, the night owls and they find that yeah. same kind of quiet and, uh, you know, writing, I just interviewed Diego Perez, uh, uh, young Pueblo, uh, for the second time. And he mentioned his latest book, lighter he he wrote a lot of that from like 7 p.m until two in the morning type thing wow i mean i would die writing at that time of the day but but again i think it's that quiet right or the contrast yeah that's that is interesting i i think when i was in college maybe for a short period i liked the night times and for the same for the same reason and then i flipped to morning and i've been that way since 
Yeah, there's it's sometimes I try like sometimes a Friday or Saturday night, I'll stay up a little bit later and and I do tap into a bit of that quiet or I might do some journaling or some reflection and, and stuff like vision boarding kind of in my mind. But it's too like my clock is just too too tuned to rising early. So even if it's the weekend, like I can only go so far or until I start feeling tired. Yeah. And you know, that's never a good thing Same. if you're messing with sleep. Any Same. any prompts, J- Joey, that you journal on or reflect on on consistent basis during the, the, those morning hours or anything in between? I interesting. I have a question that I've been asking myself for Baron Fig intensely, but I'm not ready to share that just yet. Although listeners will start to see something happen and. January, so over the next few months, but it's been a question I'd love to come back and talk to to yeah. you uh, about. As far as my personal life, I think the the book has had driven so much of my like hobby time for the longest time. How do I make this book the best it can be? Yeah. And that was it was all encompassing, all encompassing. Right now, I'm I'm in this beautiful uh, gestation where. I've written the book. I haven't, I still have to release it. So I'm not committing to anything new and I get to enjoy myself. So I'm actually in a much needed downtime in terms of that, I would say. Love it. I mean, if you're open for some su- suggestions on prompts specifically for this time, I would, yeah, I'd, I'd suggest some check in prompts. Just how am I feeling today? You know, how is the events of, of, yesterday and what's coming up today you know what's what's fueling my you know my mind body and whatnot and just being kind of like hyper aware checked into rightfully so the process that you've you know to actually experience and and be present in everything that's shaping up from working literally on something that's been you know percolating for like 10 plus years in your mind yeah yeah no, that's a good reminder. Ariana and I do this in a different way, uh, where it's "What are you excited for today?" and then at night it's, "Yeah." You know, how, I mean, many partners do this. You know, how was your day? And what was one thing you really liked? And you know, what did you overcome or something? But I think personally, I've probably taken a step back from that for a while. Yeah, a little and break. I think you're yeah. right. I think it's actually going to be it's a, a great idea for me to journal what what I'm feeling in this uh, transition time. Books done, books not launched. I'll never have that again. Exactly. So you only get I this once. Write about this. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Thank you. Well, that's and whether cool. you write about it or again, like people on the show are going to be tired of hearing this, but I I, I do think it's important because it, it for me it shifted so much when it comes to the definition of journaling, but. Whether you write about it or drop yourself an audio note or record a quick little selfie video yeah. or I don't even clip out an image or snag something that, you know, visually inspired that represents the current moment. Like these are all just forms of of journaling to just capture this like unique moment in time that, yeah. you know, you've launched so many different projects and there'll be many more to come. But yeah, you only get you only get this purple purple book once. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah, that's true. Last question for you, Mr. Cafone. Okay. What makes you smile each day? My dog and my wife. 
So we've heard enough about Ariana, so we're not going there anymore. Uh, Bring Luigi, Luigi into the yeah. fold. But Luigi, my man Luigi, he is knocked out in the other room right now. He <laughs> is a 30-pound phantom doodle, which is essentially a golden doodle, but he is dark, 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 dark colored, charcoal and gray. Um, and man, he is super sharp. Like He makes me smile so hard. We, we got him during the pandemic, and yeah. so we had to spend 24-7 quarantined with him. And so I talked to him a lot, and uh, I did a ton of training, and I just kind of talked to him about all sorts of stuff. It's amazing how much he pays attention and listens and tries to understand in a way that I haven't seen other dogs do. And I wonder if that's just the nature of the quarantine, like being so close to these human beings yeah. constantly because we were in a studio apartment for half the yeah. thing so we were like in you know 600 square feet with this little guy um and he he's uh he's definitely one of my favorite living beings i think Earth. he's just living out the laws man he's listening to ariana read out the chapters out loud and he's like shit this is some good stuff yeah He's probably got all the ideas in his head ready to go. He's like, Dad, yeah. just just give me give me a pencil, man. Just tie it yeah. to my paw and I'm ready to go. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, again, a huge congrats, Joey, for putting this book out into the world. I'll obviously link to everything in the show notes. I highly encourage everyone to to take a look at the book. It's um and I it, you know, if you can, I'd, I'd pick up a physical copy. There is something beautiful about the look and feel. Even if Joey wasn't on the podcast, you've probably heard me say this a thousand times about just Baron Fig products in general. They're just quality, awesome products, and you won't be disappointed with this one again. So take a look. Thank you. And thank you for your time and a higher thank you, thank you, Joey, for just, you know, we didn't get into obviously a lot of your childhood backstory. It's in the book. People will, will tap into that. But just thanks for keep, you know, t- thanks for for continuing down the road and, c- and continuing to, to go forward. And because of that, there's a lot of people out in this world benefiting from uh, your ideas, your work, products, and everything that's to come. So thank you for that. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. We've had some deep conversations in the past. And uh, I mean, there, it's only one direction to go, man. It's forward, I guess. You know, no matter how slow, exactly. it's one step in front of the other. 